0: Welcome everybody to the Jersey Baseball Show. Today we are here with one of the uh, true um, people who have revolutionized the uh, the game of of online uh, training, online pitching training. It's Tread Athletics and Ben Brewster, our special guest today. Welcome, Ben. And uh, how's uh, how's everything down in Charlotte?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, it's a little colder than I'd like, but you know, can't complain. I was actually out in Illinois for the holidays. Uh, quite a bit colder out there. So uh, pretty excited with what's going on here in Charlotte. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're from from a little further closer north uh, than Charlotte anyway, right? I mean, yeah, up, up near you, uh, up yeah. from Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, originally yeah. played college ball in uh, University of Maryland. So uh, yeah. I'm used to the cold, but that's one reason why I wanted to get get down here a little bit. That's right. Turf, turf weather
0: doesn't discriminate in February right. or March. Exactly. This is you this is this is still warm for you as a whole. But uh, yeah, Want to do a you know let's let's jump right in and um, talk about Tread Athletics, um, you know obviously uh, one of the best known um, and and really best run in my opinion, um, you know online uh, pitching platform, um, remote training you know really the the future of how remote training has kind of you know grown in recent years and sort of where we see it in the future but you know first of all your story. Um, The story of Tread is a fascinating one to me. So let's kind of hit everybody with that, you know,
1: how we started. Sure. Yeah. So um, it's hard to talk about Tread without talking about my own you know, career because they're very much intertwined. So, you know, I was the kid in high school who was a freshman, sophomore, like really struggled. I was throwing, I think, 70 to 73 miles an hour uh, going into my sophomore year. Uh, Really the first time I ever got on a radar gun. And I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never had a formal pitching coach. I'd never played, uh, you know, competitive travel baseball. Um, you know, I just I just knew that I wanted to play at the next level at that point, and that I was willing to uh, pay whatever price it took to get there. And so from there, it was really a, a process of me making a ton of mistakes, reading for hours and hours a day, trying every training program I could find online. Um, you know, didn't have anyone in my high school who took baseball seriously. Didn't really have any. Didn't really know anybody who. Took baseball seriously, so it was really me on my own trying to figure it out. Um, fast forward a few years, and as a uh, senior in high school, um, you know, I was I got accepted to a bunch of bunch of schools to study exercise science. I was like, okay, well, I'm not getting recruited anywhere, but I might as well wherever I go study exercise science and um, use that to help me with my training. Maybe I'll learn something. Maybe I'll pick something up, and then I can make the baseball team at whatever school you know I end up going to that has a baseball team. So I ended up. Choosing to go to University of Maryland because I'm from Baltimore, and I was already accepted to the you know the honors program, all that stuff. And it's the summer before, you know, starting as a freshman. So it's that uh, end of June, I think, early July, somewhere around there. They had a recruiting uh, recruiting camp. One of these, and anyone who knows these recruiting camps, uh, they're not really recruiting camps, right? It's it's mostly uh, it's how they pay the assistant coach. The assistant coach uh, runs it. Uh, it's kind of a, a fundraising thing, basically, for the program. And if they, if they see a couple of prospects they like, they might follow them, you know, over the next couple of years. So it's not really something you go to to get recruited. But I went to this camp and I was like, I'm going to get recruited out of this camp. Like, I'm going to tell the coach who I am. I had just come off a fairly successful uh, senior season uh, in high school where I was finally throwing mid-80s. I'd, you know, thrown, uh, t- taking my team to like the state championship in my conference. So I was like, I'm going to go to this thing and get recruited out of it, uh, which in retrospect, like, shouldn't have been, what my goal was. Cause it's, it's naive to think that was possible, but I went to this event. I, you know, had already sent a bunch of emails to the coach. I'd found him, uh, you know, before this event started, explained who I was. So he, you know, he knew I was a lefty had put up some results. Um So I go out there, uh, throw a couple innings innings uh, in this like inner squad game. I strike out six out of six batters. Uh, again, not great high school hitters that I was facing, but whatever reason I came in and he was like, You know, I was oppressed. You have a spot on the team. And I mean, just knowing that I, you know, at that point only spent four years training, but like knowing there was actually a payoff from that, I was pretty cool. But there was kind of a a shock then two months later, because I get on campus and now I'm the worst player on the team. I'm the guy throwing 83, 85, uh, whereas everyone else is throwing 87, 90, 89, 93. Um, And so again, I'm like the walk-on guy who's riding the bench and I have to figure out what I'm doing. And, um, long story short, over those next four years, again, I'm figuring it out, figuring it out, getting injured, making tons of training mistakes. Have no idea what I'm doing, I'm changing my mechanics every week, uh, but I'm learning the entire time. And I end up going from 85 to touching 95 as a senior. I end up getting drafted in the 15th round by the White Sox. End up having a good first year with the White, with the White Sox and just kind of running into a bunch of injuries, uh, getting released a year and a half later. Um, I'm actually still training uh, to try to get healthy. But since that point since twenty sixteen, when I got released, I've had two elbow surgeries uh, and two hip surgeries. So my body's kind of a mess, but at this point, I've been up to ninety eight miles an hour after my first elbow surgery uh, as a lefty, so I'm still very much trying to get my body healthy. but long story short, in the process of learning from this entire journey over the past fifteen years, uh, I've learned a lot. I've made it a concerted effort to share as much of this information as possible um, so that other people don't have to go through so many mistakes that I made. Um, I like to think of training as a trial and error process. And that's something that uh, Paul Nyman, who's in many ways like Tom House, one of the grandfathers of uh, kind of modern day pitching mechanics theory. uh, He's one of the first to explain like, look, there isn't actually a set of perfect throwing mechanics. It's gonna be unique and different for every single person. And what's efficient for one, there are some general principles, general guidelines, but what works for one person isn't necessarily gonna work for the next person. And so it really requires of continually beating your head into a wall until you figure it out um but what a good coach does is shorten that trial and error process it's like here's a bunch of things not to do right now you're now you're experimenting within this range instead of trying a bunch of stuff that we know for sure is probably not going to work for you Um, so how tread comes into that story um right around 2015 is when we started tread Um, that was i was going into my second year of pro ball and you know, it was at that time because I was still playing professional baseball. It's not like I could have in-person coaching clients, but through that entire process through high school, through college, i had been keeping this, this blog online, um, basically documenting my progress every week. Like here's my body weight. Here's my VLO. I, I was down, down this week. This was a ter- tough training week. Hey, I hit a new personal record. I was documenting this whole thing in an online like, pitching blog or log. And so it had kind of accumulated some followers. I get drafted. I'm going into my you know, first full season of pro ball, and people start reaching out, uh, dads that have been following it, players that have been following it, kind of using it first for motivation, start reaching out, hey, can you write a program for my kid? Hey, can you look at my son's mechanics? Hey, um, you know, what should I do to increase my velocity? And people started reaching out, they started offering to, to pay me to help. And I was like, no, I'll just I'll help you for free. It's fine. But along the way, I started Great to realize, right?
0: Great
1: yeah, after the first few, it's like, you know, I could turn this into a legitimate service. Like we actually have a way to help these kids. Yeah. remotely. It's, it's not as much about having someone there, every rep, every throw, every, every rep in the weight room. It's about having a plan, a cohesive plan that comes together that actually works. And so, uh, you know, my business partner at the time became, he came in uh, full-time. I was still in, uh, you know, I was still pursuing professional baseball, but in the off season, it was, you know, full-time, starting tread, um, you know, doing everything we could to build the systems. Like how are we, okay, so we have 30 athletes. Now we have 50, now we have a hundred. Um, what are we gonna do? We have a thousand athletes. What are we gonna do when we have 5,000? Like, so we were building the systems way ahead of time to be able to figure out how to get guys better, not being in person with them. And so unlike most companies where they, they start with a brick and mortar facility and then five or 10 years down the line, they're like, oh, there's this remote training thing. Like, let's try to scrap something together. Um, I think we were the only company that was a remote first, certainly one of the first ones to offer remote training. Yeah. Um, but that was our exclusive offering. It's not like that was an add on. It was all we did. It was all we had to figure out for the first five years of Tread was how do we get players better online? And right. so we kind of went through this proof of concept phase from 2015 to about 2018, where it was just gathering testimonials, gathering case studies, just putting in the time, the hours to figure out how this thing really worked uh, from a remote standpoint. Uh, and so. I've evolved, grown a lot as a coach. Uh, everything I've been learning, I've been trying to put out online, put out for free. So, um, you know, while we do coach a ton of players, we've now coached thousands of players since 2015, including dozens of big leaguers, hundreds of professional pitchers, you know, thousands of college, thousands of high school. Um, we put on 98% of our information for free. So when I discover something, I have some, you know, profound, hopefully wise thought, like I'm not just like hoarding it. like. I'm trying to put this information out, open source it, and use it to further the baseball communal knowledge as a whole. And so I think that's that's one of the special things about TRED is we're talking right before the call. Is It's not just, you know, the one-on-one athletes that we work with that right. get the benefits. It's for every one of those, there's 100 other people that follow us that have never actually scheduled a call with us, but they're still gaining value from it. And so that's exciting for me to, to see. You just kind of you put that information out there into the world. You, you do your best to, you know, you just kind of cross your fingers and hope that it, it reaches the right people. So it's really, it's really neat to see people reach out and say like, wow, this actually had a profound impact on my knowledge, my career. Um, and so I'd say that's one of the most rewarding things for me is, yeah, it's rewarding to see the athletes that we work with directly, you know, go on to get college scholarships, go on to get drafted. But it's actually more rewarding to see like that impact is actually magnifying 10 or 100 times to the people that I've never even, I don't even know exist. Right. Yeah and and so the and and that was you know what
0: caught my attention first was was the great stuff that you know whether it was on YouTube or your site or you know how well, I guess it all links to the same place but best way to to get there you know for those who just want to start at that level would you say they on you know via YouTube would it be just to go on your on the tread athletics site or uh, you know you've got your Twitter which is over 60,000 or a, 25,000 followers. The
1: Instagram's over 60,000. Um, where's yeah, the best way to YouTube, get that
0: information?
1: So YouTube is, is going to be kind of the the quickest way to get up to speed on a lot of the, the concepts and philosophy because those are, you know, each of those videos, by the way, you know, takes over eight to 10 hours of time to like plan, go film, produce, um, at least. I mean, some of them take 20 hours of my time and 20 hours of our video editor's time to, to produce some of those, you know, like they're all Chapman breakdown. Um, yeah. So th- those are like uh, well-planned out uh, concepts that are, that are organized, laid out. Um, that's really where I would start as far as learning. Um, from there, once you've kind of gone through those videos, Twitter and Instagram are where we kind of share these quick thoughts and discoveries that we're having on a weekly basis. So there's a lot more active engagement happening on Twitter. Like if you tweet at me, I'm going to respond. <laughs> if you leave a comment on like some YouTube video from three years ago, probably less likely that I'm going to see that and respond. So there, right. there's a cool engagement Uh, aspect on the other platforms absolutely
0: um one of the other things that caught my attention early on is was your your ebook the the building the 95 mile an hour body um and i guess that comes a lot from you know you were in that mold of uh when we talk about lanky i guess right six three and about 150
1: 155 at the yeah so freshman year or going into sophomore year of of high school 63 155 um you Want me to just to kind of talk talk on my kind of transformation and Perfect. then how that connects to the book?
0: Yeah, from being the from basically being the foul pole, right? To uh yeah. to, to being uh to getting the you know Perfect. where it goes. But yeah, if if you could, because one of the big things that I had mentioned to you beforehand that I get from people um that that you know I appreciate engage with me on 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 the different sites is I'm having trouble putting on weight, you know, or I'm not doing the and I'm sure you've heard it for years. Um, so yeah, how does your story relate to that and, and eventually lead into the book?
1: Yeah, so, you know, to, to sum it up, uh, six three one fifty five. 155, uh, definitely classify myself as kind of a thinner friend guy. Uh, some people would call it a hard gainer, uh, but I was a guy who I felt like I was eating everything. I was eating way more than my family ate, like, which was kind of my only gauge of like, was right. I eating a lot of food? I ate more than my friends, so I must I must just, it must be impossible because I'm eating more than them. And, right. you know, I can't gain, can't gain weight. Um, so yeah, I think I've been training for a year and a half and I was still like 165 pounds. Even when I graduated high school, I was 185. I'd never fully figured out. I mean, I gained 30 pounds in three and a half years, but I really didn't figure it out. I should have been two, a five 215 by then if I um, really understood. So yeah. I got the, I ended up getting to, to college and my freshman year, um, the head coach at the time, Eric Backage, is now the Michigan head coach. Um, he really took the strength training and the nutrition seriously. And he was one of the, one of the only people that like sat me down and sat the entire team down and said, like, he literally said, nutrition is your steroids. Like we, we do nutrition here. Nutrition is, and he, he like opened everybody's eyes to just how important it was from a performance enhancement standpoint, because you take a guy who's 155 pounds throwing you know oh that's time for me 73 but we work with plenty of guys who are throwing like 88 weighing a buck 50 and you get that guy to 200 pounds and I mean we had we've had multiple stories of those guys going from 88 to 98
0: they don't realize
1: it they don't realize some of them like just how much is possible if they transform their bodies and I've, I've played with guys in professional baseball who are a buck 60 throwing 94 from you know Dominican Republic and they don't really get it either it's like dude you should be throwing 100 and like if like, if you knew what I knew and you just followed right. this, like you would put on 40 pounds and there's no way you're not sitting 98. Um, Cause these guys move incredibly well. They're incredibly athletic and like, they just do, don't have that strength base, which requires understanding nutrition to build the strength base. It's not as simple as just going into the weight room and working hard. Like that was never my problem. I worked at, I lifted every rep as hard as I could all through high school, but I just didn't understand the nutrition piece. So um, the, the, Main thing that I communicate to guys that are struggling to gain weight is you need to actually measure what you're trying to improve if you want to make progress. It's tedious, it's annoying, but you need to measure. And I'm not saying like you have to bust up a little scale and measure every grain of rice when you're eating. Um, the main thing that we measure, we measure body weight every day. So our guys measure body weight in the morning uh, and they're measuring their calories. Those are the two most important things. They're also measuring what are called macronutrients, the, the grams of the amount of carbs, protein and fat. Uh, in their meals but the the main thing is calories in and then your body weight so what that means is if if we say hey this is typical you'll see a guy's six 350 pounds high school kid says i can't gain weight you ask him how much he's eating he says i don't know a lot you say i want you to go measure it for two days he goes he measures it he's actually eating 2500 calories a day he's not like they never are actually eating 4000 plus calories right. a day so you you actually you put them in this box so they can't escape because now you have to actually measure it.
0: So we say, okay, our
1: goal is to eat four thousand calories a day for this next week. Okay, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to eat at least a thousand with breakfast, thousand with lunch, thousand with dinner. You're going to have, you know, two large snacks. Um, here's sample food sources to get it from. Here's a sample meal plan. You're going to track your calories. You're going to track your body weight every day. They track their body weight the entire time they're with us with their program. So what that does is we can actually measure: a) are they following the program? So we're, we're able to see their compliance. Are they actually following? If yes, if they stall out, we know. Okay, we just need increased calories. If they're if you're eating four thousand calories a day and you're genuinely not gaining weight, then what we do, and that does happen sometimes, we bump it up. Now we're going to eat forty two hundred calories a day, and keep following it. If you actually do that and you're still not gaining weight, we bump it up forty four hundred. Keep doing that. And like there are one in a hundred guys like does need five thousand calories a day to gain weight. They just they just do. Um, usually those are the guys that are like also playing high school basketball and they're in basketball season and they're running for three hours a day or they're the guy who's six, six, like a buck, six, a buck 60. And he's in college and he's like walking to and from class for three miles a day. Like there's a usually a really fast metabolism and a ridiculous uh, activity load for those right. guys. But some guys actually do need 5,000. I've never seen anybody need more than that to gain weight. So the point is you, you, we can, Roughly estimate a calorie range, which will put them in what's called a calorie surplus. More calories are coming into their body than they're burning. If you get into a calorie surplus, you will gain weight, period. So the goal is getting these kids to understand what a calorie surplus feels like. And if you do that and you measure body weight, then all you're doing is playing with both sides of the equation. And you just increase calories if the body weight isn't increasing and you, you shoot for a certain rate of weight gain. For most kids, a good goal is about a, a 1.5 pounds per week of weight gain, if they're really skinny. And again, the ebook lays out all sorts of, uh, depending on the variables, depending on their their level, their age, um, whether they need to, like need to gain 40 plus pounds or just gain 10 more pounds, uh, that rate of weight gain will change. So if you're 200 pounds trying to get to 205, you don't need to gain a pound and a half a week, because you're very very close to your genetic limit. You might gain half a pound a week for Two months, but for these super skinny kids, like when I was a buck fifty five, you know, I should have just been stuffing my face. Um, And you can go a lot more aggressively. I didn't gain any noticeable fat from about one fifty five to a buck eighty five. Like that first thirty pounds, I did not gain any visible lean. Any did not lose any leanness whatsoever. From about one eighty five to two hundred five, a lot more of that is going to be fat. You know, for my frame, from two hundred five to two twenty, significantly more of that was fat. And so I kind of settled in for where my body likes to be around 205 to but that's, that's just in a nutshell, the general process. Um, there is a lot more detail that can go into it, but if you get the calorie balance side of the equation right the here sides, you actually follow it and you track your body weight and you shoot for about a pound to a pound and a half a week of weight gain you're going to gain weight yeah you, you pair that with an actual solid lifting plane where you're working hard in the mm-hmm. gym three, or four days a week. It doesn't need to be eight days a week. Right. I thought I had to lift twice a day when I was 15. I thought more is always better. Right. I, thought I had to do 20 sets of squats. like and more is 10, not always 10, better, right. but if you're working hard on a good program, you have a qualified strength coach building that you pair those two things together. The majority of that weight is going to be muscle until you start getting pretty close to your genetic limits. Right. Right. Um, so you've got, you know,
0: it's good, I mean, a good six, seven years of tread experience, seeing, you know, hundreds and thousands of, of pitchers, as well as your own, you know, kind of discovery period. Um, you've seen guys throw, you know, high 90s. You've seen, you know, the, the hard throwers, the, the guys who use force, you know, that, that throw hard because of their size. You see the guys who are 180 that just move incredibly well that throw hard. So it might be hard to do this, but if we had to talk mechanics and, you know, maybe say the two or three areas where pitchers kind of get stuck the most, as far as, you know, not being able to, to throw harder, and then maybe two or three really just constants across the board that you see that hard throwers
1: have. Sure. So that is a tough question because, you know, there are, Hundreds and hundreds of variables that, that go into the equation. Um, you kind of alluded to this within the question in, in terms of uh, different pitchers will produce that velocity differently. So there's a ton of variables, like lever length is one. The guy who's six foot six, he's he's just working with longer levers. His ceiling is going to be higher than the kid who's five foot two. It just, it just is. Like I'm, I'm sorry that that is the case. There we do have five foot nine throwers who have thrown 98. So it doesn't mean that shorter athletes can't throw hard. But longer levers is a big one. The guy who's really whippy, really long levers uh, is going to produce that force, produce that velocity differently uh, than the athlete who's maybe very, very muscle bound, very tightly wound. Uh, can't get into, you know, as deep of positions, doesn't get a huge amount of, you know, hip shoulder separation. Uh, doesn't get a huge amount of layback. So understanding athletes are gonna produce that force differently. You're gonna have kind of slow, big, tight movers. You're gonna have quick, whippy, loose movers, and you're going to have all sorts of, uh, examples in between. So from, a, we can kind of divide this into different, like different aspects to look at from a nutrition standpoint, from a body composition standpoint, uh, kind of 185 to 205 pounds or so as, as a general, like body weight range. Uh, I actually break it down in the ebook, depending on your height, what a good target is, uh, for your, for your frame. Um, but again, you're really not going to find too many hard throwers who're under a buck eighty. If you go to the ML, MLB.com or you go to Fangraphs, you sort by hardest average velocity, starters, relievers. It doesn't matter, and you look at body weights. You might see a couple guys in the entire league who are under 180 pounds consistently throwing 95 plus. It's really tough. If, like and so we have a we have thinking of Mike Pasco, one of our first, uh, you know, hard throwing shorter pitchers. He was 87, 88 when he came to us. Five foot nine, 160. Uh, and if I remember right, we got him up to 185, and he was up to 95 to 97, touching 98. Uh, so even at five foot nine, like a buck 80 being a, being a decent. Marcus Stroman, another guy we haven't worked with him personally, but five nine, about 180, 185. So the guys who are on the shorter end, like they need to move really athletically. They need to be very strong. Uh, they need to build a decent amount of muscle mass and basically be like these perfect mechanics, very mobile. Uh, high force output, high power output. Uh, Those guys kind of need to max out all the variables uh, to be able to throw hard. Whereas, like, the guy that we're working with right now, Lane Ramsey, AAA with the White Sox, he's been up to 101, I believe. He just threw a 97-mile-an-hour rocker throw indoors a couple weeks ago. And he doesn't have to move perfectly to do that. His elbow's low. He, You know, lower half mechanics aren't perfect. Uh, He's got a lot. He does not move like a Marcus Stroman. But he throws harder than Marcus Roman because he's got the lever length on his side. He's a he's a just stud athlete with super long limbs. So that's the first thing is try to look at your overall profile as as a pitcher, as an athlete, and say, you know, there's all these things that go into go into velocity. If you're like, let's say you're playing a MLB the show, you're doing like create a player and you have all these sliders, you're like, okay, strength, speed, flexibility. You know, mechanical efficiency. It's like, okay, you only have so many points to spend on these things. So you can go like strength all the way up, but then you maybe can't go speed as high. Um, the goal is to dial all of those all the way up to the extent that we can, the things that are actually trainable. So when it comes to strength in the weight room, um, these, are, these are some basic metrics that almost any pitcher we work with can hit, at which point we say, okay, you're probably strong enough as a pitcher. Um, low to mid 400s deadlift for a few reps, 100-pound dumbbell bench press and dumbbell row for a few reps, mid-300s squat to parallel for a few reps. Uh, If you're going to do some sort of like lunging movement, uh, body weight reverse lunge or 200-ish pound reverse lunge for a few reps, uh, you start to hit those numbers. Like that's a pretty good intermediate level of strength. Um, I've seen very few players that get to those levels that aren't at least throwing in the mid-80s. Like even if they have a ton of uh, mechanical deficiencies, those guys still throw in the low, mid, upper 80s. And then the guys that are stud athletes are throwing 90 plus once they get to those numbers. So you check the nutrition box, get over a buck 80. If you're tall, you want to be over 200 pounds. Uh, You check the strength box. Can you hit those base numbers? Can you be as strong as a strong college player or as strong as like your average MLB player? Check. Okay. Those are things that are very controllable. Um, Once you start getting into mechanics, it's a little more difficult because there's a lot that goes into what constitutes optimal mechanics. Um, You know, lead leg block, super important. If you're really soft through the lead leg, it's gonna be very difficult to actually transfer that force up through your body and get it into the arm. Uh, If you're not creating any hip shoulder separation at all, again, very, very very difficult to throw hard. Uh, More hip shoulder separation is not always better, but if you're in a very, very low range and your hips and shoulders rotate completely together, you're gonna have a a hell of a time trying to create that whip-like mechanism. Um, zero scapular loading. If you can't get your arms back behind your body when you throw at all, and your pec is just a rock, and you're you're stuck in this rounded forward shoulder uh, rounded posture, you're gonna have a very hard time allowing your arm to actually relax and whip like the arm should move uh, to go with that. If you have very limited layback, if you you go to throw and your arm can't actually go into external rotation, uh, and you push the ball, it's gonna be really tough to throw 90 plus miles an hour. So just off the top of my head, that those are some of the most important variables where if you see that as a problem, you know that guy has three, four, five miles an hour at least left from the tank. If you see some sort of like tiny, tiny timing issue with where his arm is at landing, he's like here instead of there, you might not be talking about any velocity loss or you might be talking about a mile an hour here or a mile an hour there. But some of those big ones like flying open really uh, brutally with the front shoulder, no hip shoulder separation, lead leg totally collapses when they land zero layback, uh, you're probably talking about five or 10 miles an hour still left in the tank.
0: Take us through the, the typical tread process. I mean, obviously not every pitcher is going to be the same depending on what they need, but when you are, I guess the, the word is the tread onboarding process. So yep. I, I watch these videos. I, I, I get it excited. I know you mentioned it takes probably a little longer than you'd like on average for, for people to make that first contact with with either you or with uh, Cohen. What's that process like to get them to the point where, you know, between I want to work with Tread
1: and here's the plan? So, the, the first thing is just seeing if they're a good fit, right? Yeah. A lot of people just reach out, they have a question, um, talk <laughs> about that question. And if they're not a good fit, we, we give them, you know, advice on whatever issue they're having and send them on their way, and they're happy and they they got some, yeah. some feedback. Um, remote training is really a good option to consider for athletes that are very self motivated. They don't need somebody who is there watching every single rep, every single throw. They need a plan that actually works and takes into account their own limiting factors, their own deficiencies, but they don't need someone there yelling at them to like, make sure they do that final push up or get all their reps in. Like a very self-motivated individual is the kind of guy who succeeds on remote training. The the kid whose dad signs him up for training and he doesn't have any intention of actually following anything we send him isn't a good fit for remote training. So we, actively turn them away. We said, here's some advice. Here's some things you should work on. You know, thanks, but no thanks. Um, so that's the first thing is kind of vetting them in that initial process, seeing if they're actually going to be, uh, someone who's gonna follow follow the program, actually be committed to the process. And our, our athletes are with us for at least a year, a year minimum. So that's a lot of time to actually create progress, uh, see results and allow the changes, the adaptations to really happen in your body. It's really difficult for, it's almost impossible really to make progress if you just go to like some camp for three days, pay three grand and think you're going to get your money back out. Like you think you're going to make significant progress. It's not that you might not learn a couple of things and that might still be worth it to you, uh, to be Mm -hmm. honest, but you're not going to see these huge transformations in three, three three-day time period. Transformations take
0: weeks at least, right? I mean, yeah. And
1: there's, I mean, there's plenty of accounts out there. There's plenty of people out there where you know, they'll do fake before and after one day transformations. And they'll, you know, <laughs> the, the guys will come tell me after, like when we work with them, they'll say, Yeah, that was a warm up throw. And then he posted a full speed throw from the next week and said, I yeah. gained out. And he's like, That's not what happened. Yeah, that's um, not real. So we, we try to be very upfront and transparent about that. It's like when you have a year to really work with somebody, that's when you can put on 25 or 30 pounds. That's when you can have a three, five, ten mile an hour, uh, you know, swing in, in performance. So that's the first thing, Um, as far as once they actually get started, we really can't create an individualized targeted plan without knowing what we're dealing with. So there's a pretty in-depth assessment process. Now there's a mobility screen. There's also a mechanical screen. There's also an injury history. We also want to know where their head's at. So we want to know kind of what their thoughts are regarding their mechanics, what they think they need to work on. Um, We need to create buy-in with whatever we give them. To make sure that they're actually going to follow it and maximally apply themselves to it. Mm-hmm. As far as the movement screen, it's again head to toe movement screen. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like functional movement screen. It's a it's a pretty basic screen. Uh, we have a few things that are similar to that, but imagine that times like five. So we're basically going head to toe, looking at every major joint in the body. Does it move like it's supposed to? Do your, an- do your ankles move like angles are supposed to, or do you have a major mobility limitation in inversion, eversion, dorsiflexion, plantar flexion. Uh, Do you have, you know, tibial rotation, um, hip extension, knee knee flexion, knee extension, hip rotation. That's a big one. Do your hips rotate properly? A lot of athletes are are missing significant amount of mobility in their hips. Then they wonder why they're not throwing hard. They can't, you know, produce power at the plate for hitters. Uh, They wonder why their back is hurt because they're trying to get that rotation from the wrong segments. how does their mid-back, their low back, their upper back uh, move? Does their neck move properly? One thing we'll see is that athletes who don't have full range of motion in their neck, they'll fly open early with that shoulder when they throw because they can't keep their eyes on the target without right. opening up the shoulder to get their eyes on the target. Versus if you look at a guy like Rolus Chapman, his shoulders are all the way closed here. And he's able to still pick up the target, keep his eyes on the target. So there's a lot of interconnected pieces where if you see some mechanical flaw, you need to also be able to see how they uh, fared on the movement screen, and then you can put those two, uh, those two results side by side and be able to make those connections. A lot of the mechanical issues that you see are happening because their body can't move the way it needs to be able to move. And so you can address whatever issues you find. You can address those in their movement prep. You can address those in the weight room, actually, and you can address those from a, a body preparation standpoint. And now they're starting to be able to get into better positions on the mound. Just because you've opened up that range of motion you've given them better strength better control of their body in space so there's there's that piece of it it actually allows us to interpret uh, the mechanical issues that we see better so
0: what's next for tread because right? I mean, you you it's it you did mention earlier that it's almost like you're backwards com- not backwards but kind of the opposite of most companies and that you you nailed the online piece and then it was like, all right, let's build our training facility, which is now, as we said, down in Charlotte, what's kind of like the the, the next step, you know, Tread, I want to say Tread 2.0, but what's the, uh, you know, the immediate future? Um, and, uh, you know, how do we contact you if working with Tread Athletics is something we want to do?
1: Yeah, so like I said, um, we kind of did it in reverse, kind of did the quote unquote wrong way. but. Um, now we're in kind of this hybrid model where uh, we're still a remote first company. So all of the athletes that actually train in our in-house facility are also remote athletes of ours. So our college guys, for example, they're on a remote program with us, but then over the summers they'll visit for a week, a month or the entire summer. Our professional guys, again, they're on a program with us for the entire year, but for the off season, they'll again come in for a week, a month or the entire off season. Uh, same with the high school guys, maybe they'll come for a week over winter break or a month over winter break. Um, and so. This facility now we have a thirty three thousand square foot facility in Charlotte, um, which is pretty cool. It took us you know over a year and a half to finally get this building set up. Um, the plan now is to use this building to support the remote athletes that we have because everyone wants to come in and get that kind of next level look at what they're doing. Um, to the extent that we can we can get guys better online, there are still some things that we can gather information we can gather in person that you can't do remotely. So, we have a level two in person uh, movement screen, power testing when they come in house. Uh, we also have the technology and the data in house as well. So, we get them on the track, man. Uh, we get to look at their pitch movement profiles. We see that stuff anyway in some of the databases for like the pro guys. Every pitch they've ever thrown is right, has the data on it on, in online databases. So, we can look it up for them, but for high school and college high guys, you can't. No, that's, that's really valuable to be able to get them in there. and Hey, they're like, hey, I'm. I throw a curveball. I'm really trying to decide if I want to throw a cutter or a slider. And like we can get them in a, on a bullpen and see how those pitches profile. We can test five, 10 different pitch grips, see which grip works best objectively, and then send them home with a usable cutter, usable slider. They can go go practice on their own. Or maybe they only have a rap soto back home that they can pitch to. But well, we can set up a rap soto and our Trackman and we can say, okay, the track man's your gold standard. But based on when you get these results on the Trackman, what does the rap soto say? Now they right. can go home and actually interpret. Um, you know, okay, this is my really good sinker movement profile. Confirm that on the Trackman, and then they know that the Rap Soto reads 80 to 85 percent spin efficiency when they get that good sinker. So now they can go home. They can shoot for 80 to 85 percent spin efficiency when they throw that sinker to the Rap Soto, knowing it's not nearly as accurate on the movement side. So again, we can really implement some of the data, some of the technology uh, aspect when guys come in house. So that's kind of where we're continuing to, to scale. Is Again, trying to have as big of an impact on the industry as a whole, uh, we added 20 new employees over this past year, so we're around 32 right now. Just continuing to, to spread our reach. From that standpoint, we have a few uh, kind of top secret projects that I can't talk about, uh, but will be uh, will be revealed in, in due time. So, the plan is to keep learning, both myself and all of our coaches. Uh, one thing that's really cool uh, behind the scenes that people don't see is uh, we we've launched this year what. We call Tread U, which may in the future evolve into you know courses that we kind of release. But for mm-hmm. now, it's, it's an internal education uh, system that we've we've developed. It's like you know everything that I've kind of learned over fifteen plus years, um, plus everything that all these other coaches have collectively learned. Because a lot of them are are kind of experts and have have focuses and things that I don't know about. They have these their own their own specific interests. Like what if we could make a major in pitching development? Like you can't go to college and you know have a master's in pitching development. If you could, like, I would have majored in that. Like,
0: yeah, so you got a lot of guys now interested in that. Everybody
1: would major in that, but yeah. it doesn't exist. So, like, our goal is: well, internally, we need to make sure that it does exist. Um, and so, you know, we have a guy with biomechanics uh, masters, and so he built a biomechanics uh, course. That the rest of the coaches can take and mm-hmm. you know coursework on. Anatomy, physiology, uh, physics—all this, all this type of stuff. If you could major in pitching development, you would. And so, when a, a new coach comes to tread, gets hired, they're already cream of the crop. But we need to make sure they're prepared to coach professional guys, big league guys down the road. Yeah. And so that's kind of the internal education system that we've been building. Um, again, many, many more iterations that need to to take place before that we even consider releasing that to the public. But I think that's the, the one thing that we're most excited about is that we can we can home grow talented coaches here now. It's the equivalent of like the Yankees just, they just go buy the best talent, right? We're not That's gonna right. go hire every MLB pitching coach to track. Probably, probably We're can't. We're not gonna go buy every, every top pitching guy, but we don't have to. We can take a really bright 24 year old who has a couple of years of experience. Maybe he played professionally for a couple of years and we see the potential and you can home grow that talent and turn them into an elite level coach. And it's that's not, the Yankees, it's like, not the Yankees approach, it's the, it's uh, the, the Athletics, raids, right? You're, you're, yeah, yeah, the rays, the athletics, you, you know, you name it. So Money ball. Exactly. And we realize like that's that's the way that that we can actually scale, yeah. um, get players better, you know, as a whole. Because we're so concerned with as we scale and grow. Like, I can't coach everybody. I coach right. a very small percentage now of the athletes that work with Tread because we have 20 plus coaches and hundreds and hundreds mm-hmm. of athletes. Um, so again, my goal becomes kind of education as a, as a whole managing the systems so that we can make sure every athlete that comes through our, you know, remote and also in-house doors has the same experience. They get, it's not that they're going to be coached exactly the same, but they're given the same attention to detail, whether they're a 15 year old kid or whether they're a big, a big league all-star.
0: Yeah. Well, we hope the body shows, uh, holds up a little bit for you so you can do a, uh, since we're in New Jersey, we'll we'll go with Mike Adams and hope you can you do like Mike and uh, you know plan. you know get that. But not that your body types are the same, but you know that again, yeah. I guess he would he would go under that 180 five, five, ten, hundred eighty pound guy. That
1: I certainly I certainly like to do what what he did last year and you know get everything back where it needs to be and, and get signed. So I right. like what he's doing up there. That's right. Um, we appreciate the time. Certainly, uh, again, a lot of appreciation
0: and respect, and you know, for what what Tread Athletics is about, and what you guys have done for you know, as you said, the people that you do know, but also the the times ten people that you don't and probably never will, but have been just as impacted by things that you put out.
1: For sure, yeah. And if anybody listening, you know, wants more information on. Uh, maybe they're struggling with something in their own career, or maybe it's a, it's a, you know, parent listening whose son is struggling, or maybe just wants another look at, at what they're doing. Uh, go ahead and email us at contact of and we'll, we'll take a look um, again. We we're very responsive. We'll, we'll get on a call with just about anybody who's, who's interested in what we're doing, what we have to do and what we have to offer. So uh, don't be shy. Feel free to reach out and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Ben Brucer, one of the best there, around and at, at,
0: at what you, what he does. And, uh, You know, our guest today on Jersey Baseball Show. We appreciate the time and look forward to catching everyone next time.